This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for our Zoomer Squad. An interesting new survey finds that most of the time, retirement does not play out as expected. Why doesn't that surprise me? And do you have confidence in our 911 system? This weekend on our roads, a good Samaritan chased an impaired driver after being put on hold for six minutes after calling 911. Take a listen. All our 911 call takers are still busy at this time. All our 911 call takers are still busy at this time. 
you know, through the different uh, layers of uh, technology. But uh, they want to move to a, a system where they will be able to triage. They will know, have a better idea of where the call is coming from and perhaps even be able to respond to uh, uploaded photos and text messages. So they're, as usual, working on it. But where is it? I don't know. <laughs> Peter, I mean, I don't believe any of this is funded, and I don't believe that there is actually a national standard for 911. It's, it's a voluntary standard, I think, uh, and, and there, there are so many different companies involved. It's, it's not only, like, they're not all government, um, you know, regulated. A lot of them are private that work with municipal. Some municipalities don't even have a 911 service. So it's, it's pretty patchwork, I think. I do think that triaging makes sense. So, for example, someone may call 911 because they just got home from a weekend away at the cottage and find that their home has been broken into. So they'd call 911. And... In that case, I mean, there's not a, a whole lot of urgency for 911 to respond immediately to that to that individual because the person's already gone and their house has been broken into, so maybe they could wait um, to give their complaint. On the other hand, if someone's called and says, my wife isn't breathing, that needs urgent attention. Yes, no right? kidding. So, or in this case, a man was chasing an erratic, you know, a, a driver that was uh, behaving erratically. He might have killed someone in the meantime. He might have been driving um, erratically on the road. He might have veered into another lane, killed someone, or killed the individual that was being that good Samaritan and chasing after him. In that case, that would need immediate attention. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's what about this problem of uh, 80% sounds high of, of calls well, that, was that are a, not emergencies? Uh, I've heard a third. Well, okay, yeah. that, well, that may be. I mean, I, but I, Hamilton, I, got that, I got that was anecdotal. That right. was from one operator in B.C., reporting into the CRTC then in her experience uh, she didn't necessarily mean bogus but she meant not really a serious to, to Marissa's point about triage right not life-threatening yeah not not yeah. fake but not necessarily life-threatening where you really needed to call 911 but to be fair to 911 they are at the mercy of the inbound volume and they can't stop people from making foolish or unnecessary calls. Yeah, ha Hamilton uh, police release a top 10 list of dumb calls every year. Well, and the Amber you know, Alerts and, and is always on there, right? One of them was someone who found a spider in their basement, you know, and mm -hmm. a, another one was uh, someone who lost their car key. So, you, you know, the services are getting inundated with dumb calls as they, well. I mean, you keep hearing these stories from the states that people call when their pizza order is not right. Right, right. Though I think in one of those cases it was code, like, it, you know, she was under a threat of violence and oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. that would be hard to to decide to determine whether or not that individual is telling the truth but or not. it's becoming such a problem mississauga council is now uh you know they passed a motion uh last week i think to um you know create penalties for for people who abuse the service like up to five thousand dollars so it's obviously a serious issue. Well, that's right. I yeah. mean, we've that's also heard stories. That's a good idea. It's a, it's a great idea. idea. Yeah. We've heard stories of people calling 911 because the Amber Alert went off in the middle of the night and their phone rang and they were right. upset about it, right? right. So those, person, those people need to be called out and they need to face the penalty of a fine. Well, I think, you know, here, here is an opportunity, uh, you know, where I would agree with spending money on an education campaign. So maybe they need to... You know, book some ads with this is a nine one one emergency, and here are a bunch of things that aren't. And they can use the funds from the fines that they collect. Right. Yeah, perfect. But the patchwork extends to um, who's accountable. What should the system be capable of doing? 
how well trained are the operators? And they have a very difficult job. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sitting mm-hmm. here poo-pooing, you know, from a safe distance their performance. But yeah. the patchwork extends to the accountability. There's tough supervision here. There's no supervision over there. There's medium supervision over yonder. It's just this patchwork, I think, that's the problem. And then that's without even going into the topic of remote communities, particularly in the north, that don't have anything. Nothing. Yeah. Well, and, the, and you also think about the challenges of people that do call 911 and that need 911 urgently. First, they're waiting six minutes, and then it's going to take a half hour for an ambulance to even get there. So... You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, I've I've uh, read that the technology is literally half a century old. Some yeah. of it. I, I'd like to know what our audience thinks. Do you have confidence? I mean, if that if you know you had some kind of medical emergency, that nine one one would be there. I'm also wondering if sometimes, you know. It, you get seen and emerge quicker if you arrive by ambulance, and I'm wondering if people call 911 so they can get an ambulance, right? And sometimes you, you don't know. I mean, you can think you're having a heart attack and not having a heart attack, but I, I don't have a very clear handle on exactly what is an unnecessary call. Yeah, and, and every, every ambulance call... They have to go right to hospital. That's that's their only choice, right? Like they can't turn it down. They they always go to hospital, and it creates um, log jams in ER. You know. Well, one thing is clear, though. If you think if you suspect you're having a medical emergency, or there's a you know a, a criminal on the road, you should call nine one one. If you got the wrong pizza. Yeah. Don't be calling 911. Yeah, I, I don't think that happens in Canada. I don't know. Maybe that. I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> right. But uh, let me give the numbers out again. I really would like to hear from our audience if they have, because it's, it's, it's also a confidence thing, and especially for older people. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Do you have confidence in the 911 system? What do you think when you hear things like that tape and uh, would you be as a taxpayer willing to spend money to upgrade the 911 system 416-360-0740 toll free 1-866-744-740 and I'd like to move on to that other topic and that is a retirement survey that shows guess what it does not play out the way people think it will and, and first of all, uh, what's interesting, just to start with, um, most people, 55%, expect that they'll know the date of their retirement at least a year in advance. But in fact, uh, many people have no notice at all, which means they didn't control it, which means they were basically told that they were out of a job and kaboom, you're retired. Well, there are a variety of shocks that could force someone to to retire earlier than planned. The number one, um, uh, you know, role example that comes to mind would be health health concerns. So people in bad and poor health may overestimate how long they can stay in the workforce. Um, Familial issues are also a big one for for a lot of people. If they have to stay home to take care of a spouse or a parent or even a grandchild, you know, forget Freedom Fifty Five. I mean, it's just not happening anymore, right? So Freedom Ninety Five. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and then you know, of course, there's always the, the the case where some people get burnt out, or maybe maybe they were laid off, um, or maybe technology was there's, there may be some redundancy in, with I with mean, emerging technologies. Everybody knows there's ageism in the workforce. The the 
oldest people in the workforce are usually the best paid, and uh, when the you know companies want to save money, and they, they and they call out, it restructuring. Yeah, they take out the top earners, and it's it's it, it's it's a syndrome. I mean, it. I know so many people this has happened to. Uh, usually. And not quite uh, at retire at the old retirement age, uh, but in their fifties, and uh, you know, and and according to some people, they think this would happen more often because it's no longer legal to retire people. So it's not like, you know, somebody says, okay, George, George is going to have to go in a year and a half. It's like, well, uh, I better get rid of George because it's just going to cost me more in a year and a half. Exactly. There is some evidence, though, on the good side of that, is that it's starting, just starting, to see more companies realize the loss of intellectual capital that leaves the building when George retires, and all those years of experience and knowledge uh, that's not in the official manual. And some companies are actually trying to capture that on the way out, or bring the guy back or the woman back into you know semi uh, retirement so they can or tap contract, into their knowledge yeah. so it's it's changing slowly yep um let us take a call from george and pickering hi george yeah hi it's george from pickering again <clears throat> uh i called in a few weeks ago that uh doug ford wants to reduce the uh 52 or 54 uh, 911 callers down to 10, and that's what he threw at the paramedics, and they have been out protesting that, but there's been very little follow-up on that, and I just thought I'd bring it up again. R- reduce 54 what? Uh, locations of 911. Well, um, if, it, if it's technology-driven, uh, d- is it dependent on location? Uh, Peter, you seem to know a lot about the technology issues. Well, I, I don't know about... Um, I, I, don't, I haven't drilled down that deep. But um, I, I know they're trying to centralize it and, and also create some kind of triage service where there's a nurse there or a, um, like a representative from, from the fire department or police department, and they can make the decision then if it's a necessary call to send out a team. And um, it, it's going to increase uh, response time, but it'll also decrease the number of uh, calls that go out on that are unnecessary. So I, I've seen that from the Ford government. I, I haven't seen the, the reduction from 52 to 10, although I, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doubting George, but I, I just haven't seen that. Uh, well, there was, I, I think they, they backed off some suggested paramedic cuts. But, uh, you know, these things are all related because, and this is where I have to say I do have some sympathy for government going through this, is there's technology issues. And they're, if when they're trying to modernize stuff, you know, the old ways of doing things don't necessarily, uh, don't necessarily abide or they aren't necessarily the best. But, yeah, there, there are cuts and people don't like the cuts and they wonder what's happening in the meantime. Let's go to Bert and Kitchener. Hi, Bert. Hi, Lenny. I hope you're looking forward to a good week. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's about the 911. Go ahead. Uh, service. It's about the 911 service. Yep, go ahead. I've never called it myself. I've always uh, kept, this is a, you know, a hint for other people, uh, I've always kept the number of the local police service on hand so that even late at night I use that. If I see something out of the ordinary, uh, like last time I 
observe the uh, uh, theft in, uh, in process. So I called the local police, not not the 911. I think you know it, it, if people were a little more uh, uh, aware that there's another number to call besides 911, uh, it might lessen the workload for uh, some of those operators. Yeah, I mean, here in Toronto, the numbers for the local police stations, it's 808 and the, the division number. But, you know, that's not, a, that's not a quick call. They answer the phone, you get the duty person or the desk duty, they put you on hold, you might go to voicemail. So it, it is a good option for something that is not an emergency. For minor things, yes. Yeah, so that's something that's that people could keep in mind. Okay, uh, Bert, thanks a lot. Okay, good enough. Okay. Yeah, there there are always options, but 911, I guess people remember it's it. It's easier to remember the one yeah. number, of course. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, back to retirement. Uh, and uh, so most people don't, they don't in fact, let's see, 2 into 16% had no advance notice at all. Uh, and 3 in 10 expect that they will spend a large chunk of their retirement as snowbirds however fewer than two in ten say that they're regularly going somewhere warm and i think this might have something to do with money it definitely does um you can go down the list will i retire where am i going to go what am i going to do how am i going to spend my time the perceptions are one thing and the reality is i won't say always very different but different often enough that uh, it's upsetting the the stereotype of what happens when, when you retire. And I think it's nice to fantasize pre-retirement about retiring one day on a beach in, a, in beautiful paradise or traveling the world. But it's frankly just not realistic for most when they reach that point. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, as a result, we're seeing sort of this general trend of people staying in the workforce longer. They're staying in the workforce into well into their 70s or their 80s. Some people say that they don't ever plan to retire. And that's, yeah, you know, the, the person right here on this side of the <laughs> right. mic says that. Exactly right. And but But I recognize that someone might decide to retire me at some point. At, well, and yeah. I, I doubt that, but also, you know, and for some people, it's financial. For a lot of people, it's financial. We know that a majority of CART members, for example, for example, say that they're concerned about outliving their savings in retirement, and so they choose to continue to re- to continue to work. On the other hand, it's you know, it's social. It's it's an opportunity for people to get out of the house because once they hit retirement, they wonder what am I going to do with my day, let alone the rest of my life. Well, yeah. So first of all, one of the things that's always struck me as a, an irony is that. For me, if I wasn't working, I'd want to be spending even more money <laughs> than I spend now. Sure. And, uh, you know, I see people who are extremely wealthy and they're always going off somewhere. But, but even as, you know, a working person and with another income, I, I couldn't take that many trips with an income coming in. Exactly. Um, n- nor would I necessarily want to. And a lot of people choose to stay in the workforce because they want to continue to vacation on occasion. Um, it's to be able to allow oh, yeah. them to continue to live the lifestyle that yeah. they're accustomed now, to. Now, now multiply that concern times 20 years more lifespan yeah. than what was previously right. the norm. 
You're paying for 20 more years. Now in, you're going to pay right? for 20 yeah. more years of yeah. something. Maybe you're right, and not all flying away all the time, but something yeah. with no income coming in. So it makes you much more conservative earlier on. You're saying, wait a minute, I'm 65, 68. I'm in good health. I could live to 90. Where am I, How am I going to sustain this for 30 years with no money? I better not give it up just yet, or I better cut back a little bit, uh, but not fully. And I think what we're really seeing here, Libby, is we're seeing the end of the absoluteness of retirement. You are not yet retired, being you're retired. Now we're seeing this kind of bleeding into retired, semi-retired, retired but going back, kind of retired. We're seeing a whole bunch of options where there used to be only just one. But but it it's not necessarily that easy. I mean, I know uh, a number of people, including one very close to me, you know, yeah left the full-time job and, uh, you know, then they're relieved. They were burnt out. You know, people who leave voluntarily, they've had enough of that, want to do something else. But then if you want to get that portfolio or or to have some projects here it's not it's not that easy you have to hustle to get that and once you're out of that full-time kind of grind the world moves on the world does move on and even if you don't want to hustle there have been studies made for example of very senior executives who yeah. retire with multi-million dollar packages who literally don't need to bring in one nickel who immediately suffer depression because their calls aren't being returned, nobody needs to have a meeting with them anymore, or people are nice, but, you know, Jack, yeah, well, we'll get back to him. You know, that one day they were like the king of the world and everybody yeah. jumped when they phoned. <laughs> they got a return mm-hmm. instantly. Now it's kind of, they're marginalized, yeah. and they don't know how to deal with that because they haven't been in that position for 40 or 50 years climbing the, the pyramid. Now, all of a sudden, he's on the shelf, and it's a very attractive shelf, but he doesn't want to be or she doesn't want to be there. Okay, but for the majority of people, the fact yeah. of the matter is retirement is a luxury you cannot afford. And, you know, we're also in an environment today where the vast majority of employers no longer have workplace pensions. Yeah. Defined benefit pensions are increasingly unsecure. So people are heading into the, their retirement years and they're concerned about outliving their savings, let alone, you know, when they're going to. And the other, the other thing people don't prepare for is what if you get you or your spouse gets sick? Yeah. What if you need extra care? People do not plan for that. You know, they may have planned for for the bucket list trip, but not for that. And, and that is expensive. And as we age, healthcare becomes more expensive. We know that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, you're seeing an embryonic uh, long-term care insurance industry forming up in front of us. It's not as well established as other forms of insurance. It will become very well established uh, to buy that you know, when you're younger. But again, you said it's not that easy. You're right. But there's 6 million people over the age of 65. Each subgroup is now big. So if only 10% of them are doing this, that's almost a million people. So what you're seeing is these huge variety in the models. So instead of one model, you're looking at 100 models. And it's true. It's a struggle for some. It's not a struggle for others. It's marginal for some. It's mainstream for some. What we're seeing is the dissolving of the the, the absolutes. That's what I think is happening. And you're going to see many, many different realities of those years. Peter? Well, yeah. And, and part of David's point is it, like the, the changing face of retirement. I think a lot of... Um, 
new retirees just aren't interested in the snowbird lifestyle anymore. Like it, the idea of just going down and, and dropping out and going into these retirement living centers, which or gated communities, gated communities and, play and, golf all day. That's even yeah, people. I know I people think, who love golf. I, yeah. They play golf for, for three months or six months and then, you know, <laughs> thrill is gone. But there, there is sort of a changing ideal about, uh, about the snowbirds and, um, I, it, it, part of it could be we, we just don't embrace that kind of, you know, dropout type of retirement lifestyle anymore. Like, as David says, we're going to stay a little bit engaged in work. We're going to visit friends. We're, but the, the sort of Freedom 55 sitting on a beach ideal is, is gone, I think. Yes, we have to remember this is the boomer generation right. we're talking yeah. about, you know. Right. The boomer generation, they need excitement. They need... Do they need this looking out the window? <laughs> well, I don't think anyone needs well, this. Well, want to need or two. Okay. Uh, we are starting to run out of time. And, and people, if you have anything to say about this, you know, this is a subject I'm going to keep take, taking up it. because I, I really think there's a big disconnect and, and people still have all these, you know, stereotypical or ad ideas about what's going to happen and it's not going to be that way but uh what would you like to leave us with starting with david well i just i just to reiterate we're going to see the end of the word retirement we're going to see it disappear and what we're going to see is he's doing this she's doing this they're doing this there's a whole group doing that Snowbirding could mean Florida, but increasingly it could mean Belize or Dominican Republic. It could be adventure. It could be part-time. We're going to see hundreds of models of what you do with the years 65 to the end. That's what we're going to see, and we're seeing the first signs of it now. One of the things that struck me in this survey that we didn't mention was that 50% of pre-retirees said that they planned to work post-retirement. Only 11% returned to the workforce. Now, I would wonder, is that full-time? Did they consider part-time workers or volunteer workers? The other thing I think perhaps factors into this number is the fact that most people, because the trend is is that they're retiring later, people aren't retiring at the traditional age of 55 or 65 anymore. They're working into their 70s or 80s. So it's less likely that someone may return to the workforce after the age of 80. But who knows? I mean... Uh, you know what? Nothing is I, absolute, as David says. I was talking to a friend whose husband is much older than her. He's in fantastic shape. You know, these are all people I know from tennis. And he is 80. And he wishes he was working. And, and you know, he's at the gym every day and everything. But 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 he's he's bored. And, and it's driving her nuts. Hey, listen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Peter. Well, I, I know my wife, who's probably listening, will want me to work as long as possible because I will drive her nuts when I retire. <laughs> okay. Uh, with all that, try not to drive your wives nuts. <laughs> or husband. <laughs> or husband. <laughs> I will try. Uh, that's all the time we have for the Zoomer Squad for this week. As always, very interesting conversation. Thanks to Peter Mugridge, Marissa Lennox, and David Kravitz. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.